Mojave Beach Productions. Podcast Excursions invite you to join us on a conversational safari that leads to the paranormal, supernatural phenomena, and common sense. This episode, astronauts, nuclear physicists, and UFOs. No more secrets. Your host, Esther Luttrell. I'm going to go back. <clears throat> my, my, my. 1975. At that time, we lived in Sedona, Arizona. We also had a business in Tempe, Arizona. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I swear, I promise you, really did happen. I'm going to try to tell it as accurately as I know how. Now, our backyard backed up to the backyard of uh, the Forest Ranger Station. That's not one of those high towers. It was really their offices that was on uh, a little uh, highway that isn't used much anymore, or wasn't then used much anymore in Sedona. So we were easily identifiable because of that. We lived, I'll tell you exactly where we lived. We lived on Arrow Drive. Uh, Excuse me, all of you in Sedona who may now have a lot of visitors to Arrow Drive. Now, straight across from us, if you stand out the front door of our house, there's a tree right in the front yard. Then straight across, you can see what they used to call Airport Mountain, which wasn't that big a mountain, but it had some height to it. At that time, there was no heavy traffic airport-wise. There was a shuttle that came in from Phoenix that I believe held 19 people. You very seldom saw any real activity up there on Airport Road in 1975. I'm going to start by reading the article that was written about all of this, and then I'm going to interrupt and correct them where they went a little astray. This is from Flagstaff Sun News, May 1975. And then the headline, Sedonans Eye the Skies. At that time, I was married to Arby Beardsley, so my name was Esther Beardsley. My son has never wanted to talk about this. And so I am not going to say his name out of courtesy to my son. My daughter, Catherine, who later took on the nickname Brooke, was thrilled by everything that went on. She found it fascinating. Okay, here's what Dave the reporter has to say about us. An unidentified flying object has put in several appearances in Sedona skies during the past month. One family reports having seen or heard the object on several occasions. Mrs. Esther Beardsley, whose family first sighted the object May 5th, said she and her son and daughter have witnessed the object on at least three other occasions. I'm not saying it's little men from Mars. I don't know what it is. It's just an unidentified flying object, and that was a quote they attributed to me. She said her family's first encounter with the object occurred May 5th. The object was first heard about 9.15 p.m. on that date. 
She said she was working in her office when she heard a very loud humming sound. She summoned her 17-year-old son and 14-year-old daughter who also heard the sound. Checking outside, Mrs. Beardsley said the three saw a tremendous white light in the sky above Airport Road. They watched the object for about half an hour. Now, I am going to stop there, make a little clarification. At the back of our house was a room that we called the Arizona Room. It's a room that's primarily window, primarily glass. At night, because we're so isolated up there, it's pitch black out there. And I always kept those curtains, the drapes drawn at night. So I'm sitting back there. I have a desk. My husband has a desk on the other side of the room. But of course now he's at our business in Tempe. And I hear this whirring sound. Having lived in the city all of my life, I'm used to hearing sounds. Suddenly it hit me. I shouldn't be hearing sounds. We're isolated up here. Where would any sound come from? Oddly enough, the sound was that of a, of a science fiction movie, like we would hear, you know, a UFO. Woo, 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 woo. It, it really sounded like that. And I got up and, and I went through double glass doors into an interior room, which was my son's bedroom. There's no windows in there. Keep that in mind because that plays a part in another encounter. So I crossed that room and went out into the hallway. Across the hallway was my bedroom. But I went down the hall. I passed my daughter's bedroom, and she looked up. She was reading, and she looked up and like, what's that, Mom? So we go down the hall. We continue down till we get to the living room where my son is sitting on a footstool strumming his guitar because he was trying his best to learn to play the thing. And we're now we three are just listening, and we're hearing woo-woo-woo-woo. Well, my son and, and Kathy, they ran out the front door while I went back to my, to my office to the telephone. They came running through the house then and came through the Arizona room and went out the back door, and they're looking up in the sky while I am calling the sheriff. I got a dispatcher, and I said, you know, we're hearing the strangest sound up here. It's, it's like a bad UFO movie. And then my son was saying, there's a big white light. Anyway, the dispatcher said, yes, ma'am, we're aware of it. And so when I said I'm behind the ranger station, he knew exactly where I was. He said, yes, ma'am, you're not the only one, though, seeing it, which I hadn't seen it, don't forget. Just my son now and my daughter had seen it. He said there are 50 cars lined up on the side of the road out on the highway watching it right now, and the sheriff is actually chasing it. Now, there is a cross town. It's a big, red, beautiful monument that looks like a coffee pot. It's called Coffee Pot Mountain. Across from that, on the other side of the road, is a very well-known tavern. I think it was called Rainbow Tavern. And the dispatcher said that the sheriff had followed it as it moved from Coffee Pot Monument over toward Rainbow Tavern. And now it was directly over the ranger station, which put it directly over our house. Then the sound stopped, and that was that. What the kids and I said was, why did it stop over our house? (laughs) But we didn't make a lot of it because there was no effort to contact us. There was nothing that really said we were being pinpointed. Now I'm going to go back to what's in the paper. The next encounter with the UFO occurred May 12th at 2.53 a.m. 
She said her son told her that he was awakened by a bright white light that filled his room. Now, let me tell you what really happened. Remember I told you that my son's room has no windows in it. On one end of it are the double glass doors that go out to the Arizona room, and on the other side of that is a folding screen made out of heavy, heavy wood, very thick. Now, I'm in my bedroom, and he comes bursting through the door saying, Mom, quick, there's a light in my room. I jump out of bed, and I run across the hall, and there is indeed a light, but it's not a white light. It's like a blue neon light, and it's moving across the room as if it's one solid piece. In other words, it's going across the room very steadily as if, um, as if it's a wall being pushed back. So it's, it's flooding the room, but it's moving. And it's moving out to the sliding glass doors, which we threw open. We went around the, the folding screen. I threw open the drapes to look out. And that's where the willow tree over our swimming pool or beside our swimming pool was bent over. It was as if something were, was whipping it around. And I did hear the strange sound. Again, the kids ran out the back door to look, and I, again, I called the sheriff. I, and I got this lady dispatcher, and I remember saying to her, Hi, I'm so sorry to bother you. This is Mrs. Beardsley again on Arrow Drive, and I swear to you, I'm not smoking funny stuff. And I put the phone to the window, and she did hear it, of course. And she said, I'll send somebody out right away to investigate. So... A patrol car came out. They pulled under our portico, and they wouldn't get out. And the the <laughs> the, the deputy who was driving, he said, I'm not getting out of this car. Well, the other fellow with him, he got out, and he came around, and he said to me, uh, I, I believe you, because my son and I were driving up to Flagstaff the other day, and as we were going up the switchback, so we were almost to Flagstaff, we saw a formation of UFOs, they were in a V formation, and they were flying right beside us, and it was daylight. They were very, very visible, and they were definitely UFOs. But uh, he got back in the car, and they drove off. Anyway, now we go back to the newspaper story. The next paragraph says, The object returned on the night of the 14th, the most spectacular of the appearances. I'm going to leave the newspaper account entirely and just tell you what happened. I was in bed, and my daughter comes in, and she's sitting in a little chair against the wall at the foot of the bed, and she's facing me, and we're just chatting away. Now, to my left and to her right was an oversized window that looked out onto our front yard. Out there was the tree that I told you about, and beyond the tree, the little house across the way, and beyond that, you could see Airport Road and Airport Mountain, where there was usually no activity. So my daughter and I are talking, and the lights are off. And she just happens to glance to her right. And she said, Mom, it's here again. And I said, I don't want to hear about it. And the reason I said that is because I had gone to get gasoline at the gas station sometime after that encounter where the police came out. And the man who came out to pump my gasoline, which they did in 1975, man said, hello there, seen any more little green men? So I laughed and I said, I didn't say green men. I said it was flying and it's an object and I can't identify it. And he laughed. 
But, you know, I, I so much did not want to be known for that. Anyway, so my daughter says, Mom, it's going across Airport Road, and I think you really should look. So I glanced, and sure enough, there is what looks like a long baton. And it does have a green light on one end and a red in the other. And what it did was it just slid very gracefully across the top of Airport Mountain. And when it got to one end, it just simply went back the other direction. It didn't turn around or anything. It slid one way and then it slid another way. All of a sudden, it moves forward. I remember now it's got a light on one end, light on the other, and dark in the middle. But you could tell it was connected. And it was coming our direction. And Brooke said, Mom, it's coming toward us. And I said, I remind you, I flipped from Brooke to Kathy because she calls herself Brooke and I called her Kathy. Anyway, same child. (laughs) This thing is coming toward us. Now, my husband had said, they always happen when I'm in Tempe. I I think you see something. I doubt seriously you see UFOs, but I think you see something. But next time it happens, don't wait until it's all over and then tell me when I come home. Call me while it's happening. So tell me what's happening as it's happening. So I said, okay, I would. Now, my daughter's going, Mom, it's coming right toward us. It was coming very slowly, and there was no sound. But it was definitely gliding our direction. So Kathy jumps up, and she's yelling for her brother, and they run out the front door, and they're standing in the middle of Arrow Drive in front of our house, because by now, this UFO has glided to a position barely clearing the top of that tree that's in our front yard, and it stops. Well, I grab the telephone in the bedroom, and I'm watching it out the window now, The kids are to my right, standing in the middle of the road, this dark, dark road. The craft is hovering right above the tree, which is right outside my window. What I can see of it primarily, because the tree blocks my view a bit, I see that it has a a row of lights under it. There are two rows, and they're going in directions, but they're going in opposite, each row is going in opposite direction. It is shaped exactly like what we see in the movies, a saucer. So now my husband's on the phone and I'm saying, Arby, it's right outside the window and it's, it's very metallic looking and it has a little a rise in the center of it. But other than the lights, I mean, there's no sound and the kids are staring. Now, as I'm saying this, I see a panel move up on the dome. And it's just sliding aside. Out of this panel comes a pole, P-O-L-E, a pole of solid light, like a laser beam. It's quite thick, and it's very solid, and it doesn't come out like with a flashlight or something. It comes out like a solid pole of light. The kids are still standing out there staring. Now, they're almost under it. And I'm looking at them, and I yell, Get in the house. (laughs) Well, the light doesn't come down directly on them, which is what I thought it was going to do. you got to remember now, from the kid's perspective, that UFO is in front of them, maybe 20 or 30 feet, but also up treetop level. So they've got a grand view of it. Well, my son, it didn't take any urging to get him 
to run. My daughter was a little later getting started because she was so fascinated, but they did run. And they ran in the house and they ran to the window beside me and I've still got my husband on the telephone. Now we're watching this light and they put it, when they pulled it, put it down, it was as if they wanted to look at the children. But I sensed great intelligence there and I sensed that they didn't want to frighten them because the light came out to my daughter's right, which was a big ditch. And it, it landed right there in the light, it sat down and then it as if to say, we don't want to hurt you. We just want to look at you. It now moved very, very slowly up to where the children had been standing. And it stayed there. And my feeling was that it was staying there to say, we just want to look at you. We don't want to scare you. So they were waiting to see if they would come back is what I think. I was going to stay away from speculation, but I have to speculate that. Well, the kids were just horrified, fascinated, awestruck. I don't know the word for it. And my husband is saying, what is it doing now? What's it doing now? The UFO at that point, without any sound so far, remember, retracted the pole of light. They brought it in as if it were a solid, a solid piece of something. And it came back into the craft. Then they closed the panel again, which made it completely seamless. And it tipped up over to go over the rooftop. And when it tipped up, all of the lights went off in the house. The telephone went dead and stayed dead for about a half hour. But my daughter felt the most frightening thing, the only frightening thing that happened. Everything else was fascinating. But bats began just swarming into our windows, just crashing into our windows all the way around. Later, we would all come to speculate, of course, that their radar was off and that they were just totally discombobulated. They didn't know where they were. They were slamming to our windows everywhere around. And so that ended our adventure with UFOs in Sedona. But it didn't end our adventures with UFOs, just in Sedona. There's so much stuff on Amazon. Wish I had a personal assistant to tell me what's good. Oh, we actually have two, Fresh and Felicia. Who? Fresh and Felicia. They have a show on Amazon Live, and all they do is scour Amazon's millions of products for the best deals and best quality. Fresh and Felicia? Yep. You can follow them at freshandfelicia.live. The Fresh and Felicia Show. In 1978, September, Arby and I were moving from Sedona to San Diego, California. It's a five and a half hour trip and we started rather late, so it was about 10 o'clock. I knew we were going through uh, a very lonely stretch of highway. Uh, there was nothing on either side. There was just seemed like desert on, on either side of us. But off in the distance, that would be two hours. We're going, we're going west, so this would be to our north. There was a range of mountains, and it's really hard to tell when you're going through a desert how far away mountains really are. But anyway, I wasn't paying much attention to that. I'd been dozing. And I wake to awaken, and my husband is driving, but he's also hunched over the wheel and staring out the passenger side window. And uh, so I followed his gaze, 
And oh my goodness, there were in this dark, dark night sky, literally hundreds of white globes. Now, not as big as the moon, certainly not as bright. Well, yes, as bright as the moon, but not as big. There were no landing lights. There was no color. These were white globes, dazzlingly bright. And they were coming in from uh, way off uh, in the, from the north, way up in the sky. They would come in as lights, uh, small lights at first, as if they're coming in to, to an airport, but there's no airport there. And where they're heading is over toward the mountain range. As they came in, we saw that they were flying in some kind of a formation. Uh, it would look like a V in some instances, but there would be other individual ones that weren't with the formation, and yet they were all coming in from this very high altitude in the northern sky. And they would just glide in. There was no sound anywhere. They would just glide in through this dark sky and head straight toward the top of the mountain. But they weren't on top of the mountain. They would go down about, a, I don't know, a fourth of the way. They weren't going behind the mountain. They were going what appeared to be into the mountain. And they would just simply disappear. They would go... If there was just a great big tunnel entrance out of sight, you would have to say that's where they were all going. I don't know where they were going. But they were coming in, just streaming in. And then there would be maybe a pause where there wouldn't be any any of them coming in. And then suddenly you would see more pinpoints of light coming in high in that northern sky. And then here would come another, maybe you'd call it a fleet of them, I don't know. Again, they would come in maybe uh, maybe four to each side of a V-shape. And Arby has now slowed the car to almost nothing, and there's really no traffic out there. So the next time we saw a road that uh, angled off into the desert to our right, Arby said, I've got to take it. I've got to go over there to that mountain and see what's going on. So we drove and we drove and we drove, and these globes kept coming in and 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 going into the side of the mountain. And we drove and we drove. And finally, 45 minutes later, it seemed like we were no closer to that mountain range than we were when we started. And we really did have to get on to San Diego. It was getting late. So very reluctantly, we did turn around and we did continue back up the road we had turned onto and then down the highway. And of course, once we got where the mountain range was behind us, I really didn't see them anymore. So I thought that was rather interesting. I've since seen things like that uh, on YouTube and heard about them, but I had never witnessed anything like that. And that was the first time Arby had ever seen UFOs, and he couldn't deny that's what we saw. We didn't have any more UFO encounters. In fact, we didn't have any kind of encounters because we got a divorce. 21 years later, I was married to a man named Larry Luttrell. We were living in Florida, and we had an encounter. Sometime later, I think a couple of years later, I asked Larry if he would recount what happened to us one night in Florida. I wanted to see how closely it resembled what I thought happened. And so he did write it out very eloquently. And I'm going to read it to you because it's exactly right. Now, if you're getting weary, we're almost through. We have this encounter, 
And then I have one that I'll never, never understand because I was alone and I was targeted and I have no idea why. But let's go on. Let's get back to Florida and Larry. Here's Larry's account of what happened. One very dark night in 1999, on the road from Vero Beach to Yale Hall Junction, Florida, my wife and I encountered what we were sure was a UFO. And I must admit that like Thomas in the Bible, I was a skeptical believer as I had never seen one, that is, until this night. With trees towering 20 to 40 feet above us on each side of the road, and a canopy of twinkling stars above, we were virtually the only vehicle on the road at about midnight. My wife was sleeping when I suddenly noticed just above the trees a tremendously bright light. At first I thought it was a radio tower that I knew was in the area, but the lights should have been red, not white. Still assuming that it was the tower, I drove, but I was fascinated because as I got closer, it became evident that this was the biggest light I had ever seen. Not the light itself, but the conveyance. It was at least the size of a football field, and in fact, was shaped like a football, with lights running from stem to stern. There must have been eight to ten bands in all. My, my wife awoke as we were about to pass under the craft. Actually, not directly under it, but off to the side, because it was over the line of trees beside the road. And at that point, the object moved at a very high rate of speed, a direction opposite of the way we were going. Now, what should go between those two lines is that when I woke up, I'm looking out the windshield, and I see this huge, this gigantic, as he says, football field size, football shaped object. And I thought the white light strung around it reminded me of Christmas lights. They were completely covering the object, completely. He says eight to ten bands and all. I, I thought there were literally probably hundreds because they looked like little white lights, but it completely covered whatever it was. Well, Larry had slowed down so slowly we were at an almost crawl because he was staring up at it as we got closer and closer. And we were going to pass a little bit under it. It was over just barely over the line of trees beside it. But it did, part of it did stick out over the road itself. Not much. Most of it was the other direction. But we were going to go under just a piece of it. Well, as we went under, of course, Larry is still craning his neck to see. Well, I jump up on my knees, and I'm now sitting backwards in the seat looking out the back window because I want to see as we go under it if it moves what it's doing. Well, as I'm watching it out the back window, uh, I see it as we clear it, but in an instant, it blinks off. And, and it appeared in an instant. I mean uh, a heartbeat. It appeared way, way, way off on the horizon. And, and it, was, it was still the brightest light in the sky, but it was way, way off. I can't even tell you how many miles off it was on the horizon. It, was, it had crossed the road, crossed the heavens, and it was way, way, way over there. I thought it was amazing. Anyway, Larry ends his account with, 
I was awestruck and very mad at myself for not having stopped to get out for a better look. We were told later by a veteran UFO investigator that it was probably best that we had not stopped because those type of craft are reportedly the ones associated with abductions. And Larry has a little PS here in the handwriting. It says, uh, I might also say that there was no sound uh, during this incident. So, Larry was certainly a believer after that, and he never quit talking about it. It was, it was amazing. And again, it's one of those things, why did we see it? Well, why not? It wasn't for us. We just happened to be coming down the road. And we were the only people on that very deserted road that night. Very, very dark. We lived in, uh, in Mount Dora, and Larry's mother lived in Miami, and it wasn't at all unusual for him to spend a week or so in Miami with his mom, so it was not unusual for me to be home alone. We were on five acres of property outside of Mount Dora, and our neighbors all had ten acres, so there was a lot of space between houses there. I was alone one night with just me and the five dogs, and it was the middle of the night when I was awakened by the sound and the feel, the feel this time. There was a rumble sound, not a whirring sound like, like sci-fi, like there was a train going over the top of my house, only the house was vibrating. Well, I woke up and my five dogs woke up and we all sprang up at exactly the same time. And I went running through the house. Now, the bedroom is in the back of the house. So I ran all the way down the hall, through the living room, through the foyer, through the dining room, through a family room, to a screened-in front porch because I'm following the sound. And even though it was shaking the entire house, I just had the feeling that it was coming from the front. And so I raced through the house, and I threw open the screen door, and I looked up. I don't know how I can describe this to you. You open the door and you look up and there, extending out over my roof, and I would say only, well, from my perspective, only a matter of three or four feet, though it may have been as much as six, were what looked to me like the tails of a catamaran. You know how a catamaran has those two floaters? That's what it looked like to me because there were two of them and they were fairly wide apart, maybe six or eight feet apart. But I am seeing these two tail ends of something going over my rooftop, just barely clearing it. There are, and they're squared off at the end. They're not round, it's squared off. Underneath these two tails that are obviously connected, there are lights. There are red lights and there are green lights. And they're running in opposite directions. And they're fastened to the bottom of these square tails that are hanging out over my porch as it rumbles across my roof. I'm staring up at it. The dogs are staring up at it. It makes a tremendous racket. And I cannot imagine. I mean, obviously, it's an unidentified flying object but it's like nothing I had ever seen and I was I, I was just struck dumb 
Well, as it cleared, and it was going so slow, it was like rumble, 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 very, very slowly crossing the roof. Well, when it cleared cleared my vision, when it got over my rooftop where I couldn't see it, I slammed the door shut, and I went running back through the house, because if it went over the house, that means that from my bedroom window, I should be able to see it clearing the back of the house, which means it would go over our back, about three acres back there. And then that backed up to a, a big forest was back there beyond us. So I knew that I should see it cross the clearing, our three acres, before it would go over the forest. But oddly enough, as I ran back to the bedroom, the sound stopped and I never saw it again. I never saw it clear the house. Well, I looked at the clock, and I, I believe it was 3.10. And, of course, there was no getting back to sleep, because what in the world had just happened? Well, Larry had mentioned the UFO investigator. It was uh, somebody we had gotten to know very well, and I had no idea he was a UFO investigator. His wife was a pediatrician. They were friends of ours. I knew him as a retired pharmacist. When I was telling them about these encounters, it was Maria, the wife, who said to her husband, I think it's time you told them. And he said, I don't want to do that. This isn't a parlor game. And she said, Esther isn't treating it like a parlor game. They deserve to know. So he very reluctantly took out his billfold and showed us his identification uh, that he was indeed a UFO investigator. And he indeed does take it very, very seriously. And he is the one who told us that be glad we didn't stop under that football-shaped craft because they, they are the ones reported in conjunction with abductions. This time, he said, Esther, it is so evident that the only reason you were awakened at 310 in the morning is because they had just dropped you off. And I've never bought that. I didn't have a, a sense of having lost any time. I mean, I was asleep. But I don't believe the dogs would have awakened as so surprised, you know, with their ears pointed straight up, which is hard for a Cocker Spaniel to do. But I had five dogs. I don't, I, I think they would have reacted differently. I, I, we were awakened, but why was it on my roof? And that's the end of my UFO encounters. So you can see why I don't talk about them a lot. Because I don't have any answers. I have no idea. That last one was a long time ago, 20 years ago. So what is it all about? I think they're common. I think they are so common. I don't think my experiences are at all unique. I think people see them and, and don't even talk about see them. The night that I drove into Topeka, as I was arriving from Florida, it was about dusk, and the road was very, very empty, and Kansas is very, very flat. There was a big service station way off the road, way off the road, those kind that many, many trucks can go into, but there was actually no traffic around it. It was pretty much abandoned. Not abandoned, it was empty. There were, it wasn't closed for business. Anyway, I'm driving along, and right over the highway, and not very far up at all, because there's nothing there to gauge it against, was a very low, low-flying craft. And while it was metallic, it had just a slight sheen to it. 
no sound at all and was quite large and I don't know what that's relative to but it was large not like the big thing we saw in Florida in the sky with all the lights it was just a normal (laughs) normal looking UFO and I thought even though there's very little traffic there is a bit in fact a car pulled up coming the opposite direction and pulled kind of off the road and a woman and her little boy got out and started in toward the service station. You know, it had a little food thing in there. And I thought, look up. Look up, lady. Don't you see this? My gosh, how often are these things here? And we don't look up. I happen to be privileged enough to be in on the fact that we have been visited on this planet and the UFO phenomenon is real. Astronaut Edgar Mitchell. The phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious. General Nathan Twinning, Chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff, September 23, 1947. I know other astronauts share my feelings, and we know the government is sitting on hard evidence of UFOs. Astronaut Colonel Gordon Cooper, January 14, 1997. We have stacks of reports about flying saucers. We take them seriously when you consider we have lost many men and planes trying to intercept them. General Benjamin Chidlaw, U.S. Eastern Air Defense, Air Defense Command. The phenomenon of UFOs does exist, and it must be treated seriously. Mikhail Gorbachev. We have contact with alien cultures. Astronaut Dr. Brian O'Leary. After the plane from Roswell arrived with the material, I asked the base commander to personally transport it in a B-26 to Major General McMullen in Washington, D.C. The entire operation was conducted under strictest secrecy. The weather balloon explanation for the material was a cover story to divert the attention of the press. Brigadier General Thomas DuBose, commanding officer of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, in a September 16, 2001 affidavit. In my official status, I cannot comment on ET contact. However, personally, I can assure you we are not alone. PhD NASA astronaut Charles J. Camargo. I looked out the window and saw this white light. It was zigzagging around. I went up to the pilot and said, have you ever seen anything like that? He was shocked and he said, nope. And I said to him, let's follow it. We followed it to Bakersfield. and All of a sudden, to our utter amazement, it went straight up into the heavens. President Ronald Reagan, describing his 1974 UFO encounter to veteran newsman Norman C. Miller, then Washington bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal. Katie Coleman, Mission Control. We have a UFO pacing our position. Request instructions. This is Jeff Evans, welcoming you back from a conversational safari to the center of your curiosity, imagination, and common sense. Your host was Esther Luttrell. Our theme, titled Poisonous, was composed and performed by David Feslian. You also heard portions of Ghost Stories and Ghostly Ghouls by Steve Oxen. Both musicians came to you from the indie podcaster's best friend, Fesleyan Studios. Your producers were Esther Luttrell and Patrick McGranahan. You also heard the voices of Patrick McGranahan and Carter Lord. Mojave Beach Productions.
I just want to take a moment to thank you for soaring with us on the wings of imagination as you listen to stories we're having so much fun creating for you. If you enjoy what you hear, take a moment to subscribe to Mojave Beach Productions on your favorite podcast app. And thanks a million.